So welcome to Bookable Space. In this episode, we're joined by Marissa Noel, who will be reading to us from and talking about her book, The Unraveling of Luna Forrester. Marissa, thanks so much for joining us. Congratulations on winning the Interbury YA Thriller Awards and on all of the book successes. Thank you so much. Um, It's great to be here and chat books with you. And it's obviously a delight to have won an award for the book, which is not something I thought would ever happen. So obviously I am grinning ear to ear. It's been fantastic. Oh, wonderful. And I'm looking forward to hearing you read. So let's dive in. Can you please tell us about the unraveling of Luna Forrester? I can try. (laughs) Luna is one of these books that's really hard to talk about because of spoilers. Um, But let's just say it's a very loose Red Riding Hood retelling. And it takes place in a forest. And it basically follows a group of 17 people who are a found family. Not all of them are human. There is an angel, a telepathic box, a beacon of light and a griffin involved in this group. And they experience a house fire. And all we know as readers is that they have to flee the scene. They can't be found by authorities and go through the woods to grandmother's house. And one by one, they start getting picked off. And we have to figure out what's going on and why this is happening to them. So that's pretty much all I can say without giving anything away. (laughs) That sounds like quite a lot. And I think it's already gotten us interested in knowing what's going to happen. So with that in mind, could we have a reading, please? Absolutely. So I'm going to take you to the beginning, which is my chapter one, where it all happens. And this is from Luna. Unable to drag a breath past my chest, I ran down the hallway, scraped at the door handle, desperate for it to turn. Finally, it opened. I stuck my head around the door and peered into the gloomy interior. Caleb slept, his mouth open and his covers kicked off to the floor. Tyler's massive bulk faced the wall. I swiveled my gaze to Matthew. He held a book and a flashlight in his hands, a hardback textbook of some kind. I couldn't make out the title. He raised his head and smiled. Couldn't sleep. I shook my head and inched into the room. With a trembling hand, I wiped the sweat from my brow. Even the roots of my hair were damp. I shut the door behind me and leaned against it. The smell of dirty sneakers and sweaty socks lingered in the air. I had a nightmare. Matthew sat straighter, his book falling to the floor with a soft thud. The same one. I nodded. He held out his hand. Thank God for Matthew. He never minded me interrupting his nights. He was the only one who could banish the images. He tiptoed across the room and sat on the edge of his bed. He threw an arm around me and gave me a squeeze. A tear leaked out of my eye. All I could see was the blood in my dream. But it wasn't just a dream. It was a memory. Shh, Matthew said. You're whimpering. You'll wake the others. Tyler stirred. Matthew laid a finger across my lips while we waited to see if Tyler would wake. But he rolled over, his toned bicep covering half his face. I hadn't seen him over the summer. He'd been training for weeks, determined to retain his varsity quarterback position when the school year began. His arms rippled with newly defined muscles. I liked to watch him chop wood on the stump in the yard. Such power, such strength. Caleb muttered in his sleep. Sweet Caleb. I longed to reach out and wipe the smudge of dirt from his young cheek. He'd spent all summer building dens in the woods and camouflaging his face with mud, and sometimes terrorising his little sister with sticks, pretending they were swords. Should we go outside? Matthew asked. So we don't wake the others. I stood. Matthew went to the sash window and threw it open. He climbed onto the roof and offered me his hand. I scrambled after him. He slid the window down behind us, leaving it open a fraction. The sweet smell of pine trees drifted towards us from the forest and helped to settle my stomach. I inhaled deeply and my hands ceased to tremble. 
I gazed over the yard and forest beyond, the dark pines stretched up to the full moon, almost reaching it. As we settled ourselves on the roof, I shivered. The stars were out in all their infinite glory. This far up the mountain, their undiluted light shone almost supernaturally. The immense blackness of the sky hinted at what lay beyond, stretching, never-ending universe. Sometimes I wished I could be among the stars. Maybe things would be easier. I spotted the constellation Orion, my favourite. Obsidian's wind beat against the black night. It took me a moment to locate him, camouflaged against the inky darkness. I followed the path of the blotted-out stars. He flew in high circles, throwing me the occasional squawk. It echoed through the trees, and I wondered why no one else had ever discovered him. A griffin of midnight black and a wingspan equal to the length of two buses, almost as big as a house itself, one of its kind, hidden away. And then I remembered. No one else would ever know him, because he was all mine. Only mine. Smiled. The nights are getting colder, Matthew said. He removed a loose roof tile and brought out a tin. Opening the small box, he took out a pre-rolled joint. Looking at him, I threaded my arm through his. My chest tightened as I felt a rush of love. He was my favourite. Of course he was. He always would be. School starts next week, I said, accepting the joint. Bent my head as he lit it, inhaling deeply. I felt the head rush and the edges of the nightmare slip away. Sat soon. They're going to work us hard this year. Are you ready for it? Matthew smiled. I've got pre-season training first. You are the fastest person on the track team. I rested my hand on his thigh. His warmth seeped through his sweatpants and into my cold hand. I took another hit on the joint and offered it to him. He shook his head at the joint. I could never tempt him. He took his training and health seriously. I was slightly envious of his willpower, the clear lines he lived by, but he never judged. That was one of the things I loved about him. You haven't had the dream for a few weeks. I shifted my gaze to his face. A small frown interrupted his smooth brow. Six weeks, two days. You've had a nice summer, no dramas. I exhaled a perfect smoke ring toward the sky. The stars wobbled, the effects of the marijuana taking hold. It helps, being around all of you, not seeing the pitying stares at school. I shivered again. In the distance, an animal barked, or yelped. Maybe it was Ulrich. Did the others know? Matthew touched my hand and a fire flamed under my skin. I looked through the window. The rest of my convoluted family slept during this dark hour of the night. About my mother, I asked. Matthew shook his head. No, I meant about you and them and, you know. I did know, but I didn't like to talk about it. When my father went away to work, Felice and Joseph took care of us all, and Alessandra. They were the oldest members of our group, the surrogate parents for the kids that didn't belong. I didn't belong. Not really, not without them. And I didn't like to think about it too much. It magnified my differences. If I could change, I would. If I could get along without them, I would. My throat went dry at the thought. I needed them, especially after what happened to my mother. Blood. So much blood. I gripped Matthew's hand. Protect my secrets. He looked up, concerned, softening his eyes. Of course. You always take care of them, won't you? I asked, suddenly gripped by the fear that something would happen to them. Us. Me. So, Marissa, the book explores themes of family. There's both lost and found family, and what we're willing to do to hold on to it. Where did the idea for the unraveling of Luna Forrester come from? So, all of my books contain aspects of mental health. It's a topic that's really important to me, uh, something that I have lived through for years, and something I felt when I was a teenager I didn't see represented in books. And this book is, is heavily about 
support and the people that you need around you and who you can rely on and then the forms that that comes in and I think the first kind of glimmer of inspiration actually happened to me when I was 19 and I was flying back from visiting my friend in California back to the UK and I had a four-hour layover in San Francisco airport and I was smoking I used to smoke at the time and I was I was about to get on an 11-hour flight so I was trying to get as much nicotine as I could down me before I got on this flight so I was at the bar and this random guy 20 years older than I started to pack up this conversation with me and without giving anything away let's just say he had a condition that fascinated me and has remained fascinating to me, something I've done a lot of research on. And I went on to do a psychology degree and it really sparked an interest into this particular area of psychology, which you will find cropping up in the book. And I'm trying to say this very evasively (laughs) so that you don't guess any spoilers. It's working. (laughs) Yeah, but it's all about, I mean, psychology fascinates me. The human mind fascinates me in all walks, you know, from the criminal mind to people that, you know, lift a car trying to save a child. All of those things I find really, really fascinating. So I explore lots of different states of the human mind and conditions in my books. And and The Unraveling Lunar Forester is one of those where I really look at some interesting aspects in a fantasy setting so I think it blends those things quite nicely I love that that curious started with that curiosity and it just grows and grows that you did a degree in it and that you're also able to weave that into your books or let that you know take you where it goes I absolutely love that it helps to develop the characters and also the stories and the the things that the characters would go through so how exciting is that so off of the characters though because like I do I love I could talk about characters all day and I'm always curious about how people develop characters, but I also love setting. So much of the story takes place in the woods. And personally, I'm always fascinated about like woods and what's possible. I grew up in a place called Sweetwater, New Jersey, and they, it was like this wooded place. And now as an adult, I'm thinking, wow, what a great place for a murder. And so. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So and your book happens, you know, a lot takes place in the woods. Yep. And there's something that's really beautiful, but also disquieting. It's magical and also quite real. It's such a dichotomy within, within the woods. And so I'm really curious about what did the setting make possible for you in terms of the story you wanted or needed to tell? I think you've hit the nail on the head with, you know, anything can happen in the woods. You can have fond memories of a sun-filled woods where you're building dens or being chased through the woods, you know, those dark, spooky pine forests that you get, there's no daylight. So it, you know, and actually a lot of my books do feature woods in them. And I think it's such a blank canvas, depending on how you describe it. You know, if you talk about a summer woods, you expect something a bit lighthearted and maybe romantic, or if you are in the top of a mountain with no water and no food, like, like my characters are, then you can start to expect something a bit darker is going to be happening and I think in the woods anything can happen whether it's being caught in a bear trap or not having enough food or finding poisonous mushrooms or having an attacker following you there are so many scenarios that can happen in the woods that there's just so much fodder that you can use and I think because it is a loose Red Riding Hood retelling Mm. it really helped that my characters are journeying through woods uh, and going through that experience to get to 
grandmother's house to draw on that you know analogy and that parallel of, of the fairy tale so I was hoping to evoke that kind of feeling as well oh how wonderful could we have another reading please you can so I'm going to read a little bit from chapter two which is from Matthew's point of view smoke billowed along the cabin's upper hallway obscuring the windows turning everything hazy fire Matthew yelled Luna he had to get to Luna He ran down the hallway, pounding on the bedroom doors. The timber frame of the house shook under the power of his violent thumps. Fire! Wake up! Fire! He coughed, struggling for breath, and lifted his T-shirt over his nose and mouth. A door opened. Piper peered out, sleep glowing her eyes half-closed. One look at his face and the smoke billowing behind him, and she dashed back inside to wake the others. Luna? Where was Luna? Matthew threw open her bedroom door, but she wasn't there. Her sheets spilled off her mattress and puddled on the floor. The curtains blazed a trail of flames, mantling an open window. On the ledge sat a trio of church candles, an incense holder, and a framed picture of her at last year's homecoming dance. All burning, wilting, fading from existence. Luna? He was tempted to check the closet or under the bed, but she wasn't in the room. Didn't look like she'd been in the room all night. One of her nightmares? He checked his watch. 2am. She must already be outside. Fire! Matthew called, retreating and closing her bedroom door. Coughing into his elbow, he kept his shirt over his mouth and nose. He ran back the other way, making sure everyone was up. His eyes watered and stung as he fought his way through the thickening smoke. He attempted to push it away, but it was so dense, almost opaque, like a solid substance, and it quickly filled any gap he temporarily cleared. Scolding door handles burned his palms as he fought entry to each room. He ran into the nursery and plucked the youngest, Nell, from her cot. She screamed in his ear, her arms and legs as stiff as rolling pins. He looked for the others, doing a count in his head. Nell, Jasmine, where was Caleb? They just graduated to the big boy's room, but Matthew hadn't seen him there, and sometimes he crept back here to sleep after his night walks. He gestured for Jasmine to follow. She slipped her shoes on and snatched her denim jacket from the floor and grabbed a stick doll from the bed. We need to go. Where's Caleb? Matthew raised his voice above the crackle of flames and the cries of his friends. He looked wildly around the small room, hoping Caleb would magically materialise. Not here, Jasmine pulled her jacket under her arm and clutched the stick doll to her chest. He hasn't been here all night. Outside, now, Matthew said, pushing the eight-year-old out the door. He glanced once more inside. The window shook with an unseen vibration. A menacing shriek from beyond the house permeated inside. The noise almost reversed his blood flow. Ulrich? But Ulrich had never made his stomach churn or his jaw clench. The window vibrated again, almost rippled, threatening to implode. They didn't have much time to get outside. He coughed, spluttered, it was almost impossible to draw breath. Nell was still screaming in his ear. He stuck his little finger in her mouth and she silenced almost immediately. He glimpsed her winter onesie hanging on a hook behind the door, the one with the arctic foxes chasing after snowflakes. She'd grown so much over the summer it might not fit anymore, but he didn't have time to delve through the wardrobes. He grabbed it and dashed out the door after the others. With Nell balanced on his hip, Matthew ran down the stairs and joined a melee of terrified people scampering for the back door. He couldn't be sure, but it seemed everyone had made it out of the bedrooms. They do a head count outside. They scrambled into the small laundry room, grabbing coats and boots or whatever they could reach, shoving his feet into his boots. He spotted Luna's red coat hanging on a hook and tucked it under his other arm before tumbling outside. Luna. Where was Luna? Take care of them, Matthew. How long ago had she said that? Was it only three nights? Did she know this was going to happen? Of course not. She couldn't have. Matthew shivered as the night air wound around his limbs. Overhead, the large, round moon smiled benignly, its face beaming down at them. He drew in a deep breath of pine-scented air and coughed the smoke out of his lungs. 
retching, he spat muck onto the ground. They huddled by the enormous oak which marked the boundary of their unfenced yard, the one with the swing that Hope spent hours in, not swinging, but drawing in her notebook. Now the swing was empty. Matthew passed Nell and Luna's coat to one of the others and turned back to the house. Orange flames engulfed the entire right side of their home, curtains and wood blazing, without forgiveness. It had been a hot summer, no rain for over a month, an unprecedented heat wave. The house was going up like kindling. Luna, he called, his gaze glancing over the tops of heads, but the smoke wasn't done with him. He doubled over on a coughing fit. His eyes stung and his lungs burned. A deep, searing pain ricocheted the length of his old scar. He felt for the risen reds between his shoulder blades, almost convinced he was a light. There was no fire on his back. Luna? He called again. He stumbled through the crowd, counting heads, but they were all moving about and searching for each other, and he had to keep starting over. Seventeen wasn't that big a number. If they'd just stay still, he'd be able to count them. He didn't see Luna. Where was Luna? Wow. And you know what I realized? Like, I was enjoying your answer to the other question so much that I jumped right into the other question and skipped your second reading at that time. So that now I have to ask you for, before we go, another reading, like back to back. Um, But I I am enjoying hearing you read. So it's such a treat. So thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, this is from chapter four. And this is also Matthew's point of view. Into the woods they went. They had no choice. Anything was better than facing the authorities. Hope walked ahead of him. Matthew thought back to the one time he'd peeked in her sketch pad. Her imagination was vivid, startlingly so. Most of the drawings of fantastical beasts and nightmare scenarios took place in a hastily sketched forest, but that didn't make them real. That didn't mean this forest. The group spread out through the trees. Faith, with her thick jacket rolled up to her elbows, picked up sticks and hacked at ferns with a typical bad attitude. A unicorn tattoo flashed with every backhanded slice. Jasmine ran after Ulrich, her long legs stretching to keep up with him. She reached out to touch his tail as it bobbed in the air. Fire! Fire! The scream came from her head. Matthew looked over his shoulder, expecting to see snaking tendrils of fire chasing them, grabbing at their heels, cornering them into death. He imagined he could still hear the crackling and hissing of the flames. But they were far from the house. They'd been walking for half an hour. And the light from the inferno which destroyed their home had long since disappeared. Not even any floating flakes of ash. But the acrid scent still undated his senses. The stench of fire and smoke and tragedy clung to them all. Fire! A voice came from her head. Others murmured and cast darting glances back the way they'd come. Was a forest fire coming their way? Is that Caleb? Kalisa asked, shushing the baby in her arms. She turned her worried eyes on Matthew. Please, Matthew, find out what's going on. You're quicker than me. Matthew dropped Luna's arm. She stood there, not blinking, just staring. Alessandra nodded at him to go ahead. He pushed his way through the others, swinging his head side to side, examining the trees for a heat source. Ulrich ran back to him, growled softly, pleading with him to follow. It's coming! As they jogged through the woods together, Matthew checked the others over, trying to decipher Caleb's position, if it was him screaming. Joseph, Kalisa's husband and father to the three youngest, followed Jasmine, shouting warnings for her to slow down. Matthew bit down on his lip as he jogged, pointing farther ahead. Had he given Caleb too much responsibility when he'd asked him to help lead? When Matthew reached Caleb, Ulrich was there, standing guard. Caleb lay on the ground, his arms and legs thrashing, despite Faith holding him down. She swept a muscled leg over him. That worked. Her strength was all in her dancer's legs. Beacon hovered by Ulrich, a blurry human shape. Although she didn't speak, and was only barely human in the form she presented to them all, she was one of the most calming presences, and could dispel a heated argument in a few seconds. 
Humanoid in shape, her essence was mostly made up of a shimmering golden light, a light that kept the shadows at bay as they trekked through the forest. Her golden aura leached into the fox's fur and illuminated the immediate area. Matthew's breath plumed on the frigid night air. He hadn't realised it was cold. He'd been thinking about the fire and heat. He's having a vision, Faith exclaimed, receiving a flailing fist to her jaw. She fell back, losing a flip-flop. Ulrich bark once. Matthew dropped to his knees and tried to grab Caleb's arms. The young boy's eyes rolled back into his head and flashed white. Matthew pinned Caleb's arms down on his chest with one knee. Faith recovered her flip-flop and rubbed at her reddening jaw. Thanks a lot, see, she muttered. It's not his fault, Matthew said. It's a fine time for a vision, Matthew rolled his eyes. At least it wasn't my feet, Faith said, still rubbing her jaw. Is he okay? Joseph slid to his knees beside Matthew, the beads in his blonde dreadlocks clattering over his shoulder. Kalisa hovered back, jostling the baby, trying to keep her asleep, but her eyes were trained on her son. He's having a vision, Faith said, and he keeps screaming about fire. A pendant attached to a choker around her neck swung gently, one of Ulrich's milk teeth. I'm here now, son, Joseph cooed to Caleb. His hand went to the boy's head, smoothing back damp hair from his forehead. I'm here. While Joseph hoisted Caleb's torso onto his lap, Matthew grabbed hold of his kicking legs. The fire! It's coming back! The tendons on Caleb's neck protruded and his eyes rolled around in their sockets. I'm not sure it's a vision. Maybe it's just the aftermath of the fire affecting him now, Matthew said. But a flap of wings above him made him doubtful. Obsidian circled the treetops, and that could mean more fire. As Alessandra had said, the forest was dry from a summer of no rain. The fire crew hadn't got the remnants of their house under control. It could spread. Maybe engulf the entire forest, depending on the winds. Matthew performed a quick scan of the area. There was no sign of fire, not yet. Caleb stopped thrashing. He opened his eyes and sat up straight. The fire isn't over. His voice rang clearer than the mountain ice that surrounded their home in winter. There's more fire to come. There's more everything. His eyes closed and his breathing slowed. Then his head dropped. The visions always took it out of him. Sometimes he'd spend the whole next day in bed sleeping it off. Great, Faith muttered. Find time for a nap. We really can't stop, Matthew agreed with her for once. We haven't come far enough from the house. If they search the woods... I know, I know, Joseph said. You don't have to tell me what's at stake. He lowered his voice. How is Lena? Matthew sighed. That was the million dollar question. Alessandra whispered to her, but she remained frozen, barely blinking, staring at nothing. We need to get to grandmother's house. Why is that so important? Why can't we just go back and wait for her dad? Joseph asked, a deep frown cutting across his brow. You really don't know? Joseph shook his head, making the beads at the end of his dreadlocks clatter again. They really didn't know. Why hadn't Luna told them? Why had she left it all up to him? Wow, full of secrets. So where can we buy The Unraveling of Luna Forrester? So any place of your choice it is available in you know, Amazon or Waterstones if you're in the UK, any of your indie bookshops you can order in, or my website, which is mariesnowell.com, you can order signed and personalized copies, uh, which I'd be delighted to do. So any any way you like. I absolutely love that. Thank you so much for being our guest, for reading, for answering all the questions. It was such a treat. Thank you ever so much. It was a delight to be here and, and to read. I love it. Thank you. <laughs>